My forgetfulness is like definitely the worst thing about my ADHD. Thankfully, I got a habit, I suppose, of writing nice commit messages. So if I need to reference something, I just check my GitHub and there it is. Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this weekly show, I interview recently hired junior developers as well as senior developers and hiring managers to help you learn to code and get your first job in tech by learning from both sides. Today, I'm joined by Zuza, who took an intense approach to learning to code and landed her first dev job in a matter of months. Originally from Poland, Zuza worked as a social media marketer in the music industry. And even though that sounds really cool, Zuza decided the whole situation wasn't right for her. It turns out Poland is not the most progressive place for ambitious young women, and social media marketing is a grind to say the least. You might not always personally care or even agree with the work, and with very number-driven metrics, it can be quite a draining environment compared to the joy of solving useful problems with smart people using code. So Zuza made a change to become a programmer, and this is the story about that change. We talk about moving from Poland to Holland, even though Zuza doesn't speak a lick of Dutch. Not only that, but she applied for a job listed in Dutch, and she got it. We speak about Zuza's approach to creating a beautiful and interesting portfolio that made her stand out, and her intense approach to studies. Zuza was diagnosed with ADHD in her 20s, and all of a sudden, everything kind of made sense. It turns out many programmers have or exhibit traits of ADHD, and that's a double-edged sword. Zuza, in particular, experiences bouts of intense hyperfocus. That's one of the reasons she could code for 10-12 hours a day. However, that can also mean neglecting her basic needs while she's consumed with interesting CSS problems, for example. If you've ever suspected yourself of being neurodivergent or are just looking for productivity tips to stay focused, this is a great episode for you. It's a very inspiring, brave story littered with actionable nuggets of advice. So without any further ado, you are listening to the Scrimba podcast. I'm Alex Booker. Let's get into it. The idea of programming has always been something I've kind of flirted with, but never really committed to it. I like to say that my whole history with coding started when I was like 10 years old, I suppose. It was the early 2000s. So we just had Pascal and really bad HTML tables. And I had a blog about my dog that I wanted to have a custom like theme for, you could say. So that's when I started learning HTML and more like stealing from other people's blogs. This was a time before Instagram, probably. So you had to make a website to share photos of your dog way before like 10 years before instagram (laughs) that's really cool that's when i started learning html and i stuck to html and then later css when i needed them for either some hobby projects not really for school because they didn't really teach that stuff at school yet I started school when I was seven, so the year 2000. We had the first IT classes when I was in sixth grade, I suppose. Where did you go to school? In Poland. And we literally just did like Microsoft Word and MS Paint and nothing (laughs) else. 
<laughs> but like I said, I had various blogs and other like hobby fan sites, websites for either my favorite artists. So it was always somewhere there. And I did do some HTML and CSS and some jobs I had, but I really committed to having this as my career like end of last year so less than a year ago what were you doing between school and last year when you committed to learning to code yeah unfortunately coming from poland and also from the early 2000s misogyny was a very big thing and i was always discouraged to pursue a career in any kind of technology really due to my gender and was both by my parents and i especially remember this one guy who taught IT in middle school and he literally made fun of me for like liking HTML which was ridiculous. Oh that's ridiculous. I was always pushed into studying English because I was good at English so I got a degree in English as a foreign language and didn't really do anything with that degree because I hate kids so I didn't want to teach them and uh, translating was boring <laughs> so somehow I got into to working in marketing in the music industry. And I worked in the music industry in marketing for a few years during COVID when basically the whole live music industry closed down. I was unfortunately let go. So I switched a bit and worked in video games for a year, then moved to the Netherlands, got back into the music industry, into marketing. And then I decided I hate marketing and I don't ever want to do it again. That's how I made the decision to start coding professionally. So what, what were you doing at companies like uh, TicketSwap and Good Old Games? Was it all marketing type stuff? My, let's say, specialty was always social media. So I was, you know, running their Instagram accounts, making memes, stuff like that. Yeah, it's a really tough gig, isn't it? Because often when it comes to memes and great content on social media, it's kind of authentic in a way, like the inspiration strikes at different times but I think when you do it commercially you really have to be on it to write stuff and produce stuff every single day and I'm sure it gets really tough and probably not all that fulfilling yeah it's really soul sucking in a way because you know that you have KPIs and goals to meet and everything has to be proven by likes and profits and everything so it stops being genuine especially when you have to promote stuff like a game or a music artist that you dislike. So I just kind of got really, really burnt out of all that. So you were looking to make a change. How did you arrive at coding? Well, in my last job, my whole friend group was basically the engineering team. And sometimes they would tell me about what they're doing. And I was like, oh, that sounds so exciting. And they all started kind of pushing me in that direction. And I guess it worked. But actually, one of my friends really wanted me to go into back end, but I was like, no. But And I arrived in front end, yes. Obviously, you'd done some tinkering with code and stuff when you were younger, building various websites. Yeah, I would say I had a very good foundation to start. So how did you go about taking that foundation and building a professional skill set? Because sometimes it's hard to be like a hobbyist, but then to like write professional code and feel super ready to apply for jobs and things. That's a whole process. So how did you go about doing that? Well, I never really felt ready for 
or anything, I still don't feel ready and I'm battling a massive imposter syndrome. Like, why am I even hired? Five months ago, I didn't know what a paragraph is. <laughs> I didn't know what a paragraph was, but I didn't know how to style it well. As for my study schedules and everything, I have the major advantage that's kind of a double-edged sword in a way because I have ADHD. So when I decided I want to code, I got like super, super excited about it. And just for four months straight, I hyper-focused on just coding. I left my job at the time and I was privileged enough and fortunate enough not to have to work for those months. So I would wake up in the morning, open my laptop, start coding, then maybe eat something at some point, code again, and then go to bed. So I didn't have a plan because my whole day was just this. Coming up, how Zuza applied for a job in Dutch, even though she didn't speak it. I can say good morning in Dutch. Maybe it'll be fine. How to think about your portfolio as if you were a marketer. Who wants another unit converter? And more about studying with ADHD. But first, hello, I'm Jan. I'm the producer of this show, and this is the segment where I read some of your social media posts about the podcast, as well as some of your reviews from your favorite podcast apps. Andras Ladino tweeted, Just finished listening to the latest Scrimba podcast and it was amazing. Luke Hovey provides such a great insight on how intrinsic motivation, attitude and determination are key to make it in today's tech job market. Definitely give it a listen. Thank you. Skulls tweeted, The last time I listened to the Scrimba podcast was when Angie Jones was giving tips on how to research on what the industry or recruiters are looking for. Now I've listened to all the episodes I couldn't catch up, and trust me, they are insightful. Scrimba is the best. Welcome back. That's like four months worth of podcasts. And tweets like this are the reason we keep making the show during the summer. And last but definitely not least, here's a review from Apple Podcasts left by somebody from the United States around two months ago. It says, Scrimba number one. While I have felt lonely navigating the self-taught route, Scrimba is like a good friend or mentor that is always there for me. Their podcasts are extremely helpful and have made me feel like becoming a developer is achievable through research, hard work and consistency. I really appreciate hearing others' stories because it makes me feel less alone and more supported. Thank you, Scrimba team. Well, thank you for these kind words and I hope your coding journey has been smooth sailing. If you would like to support the show and get a shout out like these folks just did, either post about it on Twitter or LinkedIn or leave us a rating or review in your podcast app of choice. You can find the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if that place supports ratings or reviews, we would really appreciate if you left us one or the other or both. And if you're posting about us on social media, as long as your post contains the words Scrimba podcast, we will find it. Word of mouth is the best way to support a podcast that you like. And the more people hears about this podcast, the bigger and better guests we will be able to get on the show. Thank you in advance. And now we're back to the interview with Zuza. 
There are certain students who thrive on like a study schedule. Maybe they make a timetable or something and they're like 9am till 10am, watch Scrimba, 10am till 11am, delete code, break. Then the next thing, projects, more Scrimba, whatever. But I feel sometimes if you're the kind of person where you struggle to focus on something, but then when you find that focus, it's like contagious. You don't want to leave that zone. So you just keep going deeper and deeper. It kind of throws the whole schedule out the window because you're not really totally in control of when you're going to focus and it's not super predictable when you're going to get that focus. So it sounds like for you, you just had to capitalize on those opportunities and go as deep as you can. Yes, I am completely unable to follow any kinds of schedules. I did like block off study blocks in my Google calendar, but those were useful mostly to remind me that I need to take a break. I would use the Pomodoro timers, 25 minutes coding, then five minutes break. And then I would notice them like three hours in. Wait, like the 25 minutes ended three hours ago? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So schedules completely useless. I can't use schedules. I can't form habits. I just go at it. That sounds actually kind of tough in a way. I know that like hyper-focus can be a very powerful thing, but so much of what people expect is to be more like that person who follows the specific schedule and stuff. But if you feel like that really isn't compatible with how you think, that must have been quite tough actually. Yeah, it has its pros and cons, I guess. Like it's nice that I'm able to focus and study for 12 hours straight, but it's not great that I haven't eaten or washed my my hands in 12 hours, you know? When I was in that zone, I was able to completely just shut everything out and learn for 12 hours straight and make serious progress. At the end of my study, so just when I was finishing the front-end career path, which by the way, I still haven't finished. <laughs> but yeah, when I got to all the React stuff and APIs, that's when I started noticing that it's getting really hard and I was losing focus and I found myself not understanding as much as I did in the previous modules because I don't know I found everything before the API modules to be honestly a breeze I didn't struggle with almost anything and then it suddenly it was like a very big difference in complexity and yeah I had some really tough moments in those modules where I was I was just like crying at my laptop and considering quitting everything <laughs> but i guess i guess i pulled through learning to code is such a long process well it's good that you did it in a few months but they were very very intense few months i think when you look at the number of hours it takes it takes hundreds of hours to learn to code and along the way uh, you get all kinds of challenges and at the beginning it's sort of exciting it might be easier just due to the nature of the basic topics you had a little bit of experience with html and css like you had a hook to hang some of the concepts on which i think is really great but then yeah i think inevitably towards the middle there's kind of a trough of uh, sorrow i think you could call it where you start to doubt yourself but then you've come so far already it's almost easier to keep going forward than it is to go back to the beginning when you are wishing to be where you are with the skill level you have right then and there 
How do you stay motivated at moments like that when you're feeling low? I had a very good support system in my boyfriend who was kind of grounding me in those moments that yes, now you're feeling hopeless. This particular thing is not possible to understand right now. But if you take a break and just go back to it, you will figure it out just like you figured out all the stuff in the past. Yeah, that stuff happens. It gets complicated and hard to understand. But in all those instances, I always pulled through and figured it out. So why would this be any different, you know? I think that's really good advice. And that's like the imposter syndrome thing as well. Like I think the definition of imposter syndrome is like feeling doubts despite external evidence of the contrary. And it's like, even though you do sort of have a proven record, you've overcome similar challenges and you can logically say, yes, I could do this again if I stick at it for long enough. There is that little panic we have sometimes where we don't feel capable. A very helpful thing for me also was I had the Scrimba bootcamp access where I could get the code reviews and um, if the imposter uh, imposter syndrome hit me very very hard I would just look back at those reviews that I got and just listen to the feedback like yeah you did this so well like I really love how you figured out this problem and it's always been kind of you know uplifting to hear that other people think that my work my projects were good when you're doing it on your own, you don't really have a point of reference if you're doing it correctly, you know, like even if you get a code review from some other student, like there is the Scrimba Discord channel where you can get code reviews from other students or review their code and like all due respect to them, but they're like equally experienced as I am or even less. So having someone on a higher level look at your code is uh, makes a world of a difference. The career path is what you get when you subscribe to Scrimba. That's the path that most people take. It's what you get when you subscribe to Scrimba. It'll cost something like the price of a gym membership in your country. But then there's also like an upgraded package, I guess, called the bootcamp package, where you get access to the Discord community, exclusive solo projects and the front end career path. These might stand out on your portfolio because not everybody has access to them, for example. But then what you're describing, which sounds like it was really impactful, is the code reviews where after you complete a solo project, you can share the Scrimba link in the Discord community and then a dedicated code reviewer will record a scrim on top of your code and give you feedback about like the design or how clean the code is, how efficient the code is. And yeah, if you've done something well, hopefully they'll call it out and say, yeah, you did a good job as well. When you're doing it on your own, you don't really have a point of reference if you're doing it correctly, you know, like even if you get a code review from some other student, like there is the Scrimba Discord channel where you can get code reviews from other students or review their code and like all due respect to them, but they're like equally experienced as I am or even less. So having someone on a higher level look at your code is uh, makes a world of a difference. That's really fantastic to hear. And that's exactly the idea. It's hard when you're a beginner because you don't know what you don't know. If you're on your way to being a good developer, you'll appreciate that there are many ways to approach every problem and there are pros and cons to each approach. So maybe you'll have this niggle in your head that says, oh, could this be more efficient? Could I make it more terse? But someone more experienced can take one look at it and be like, yep, 
that that's what you got to do. Uh, really glad to hear that was impactful. I noticed as well, by the way, Zuzer, your portfolio is gorgeous, like so nice to look at, so engaging, and it's full of projects as well. Can you talk to me a little bit about the projects? Did you start each one from scratch or did you base any of them on work you did at Scrimbo? It honestly, that portfolio needs an update. I don't know. Maybe it's just my low self-esteem, but for me, it now looks ugly. I can really sense <laughs> the imposter syndrome shining through today. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. But I think all of those projects, Accept the landing page and the portfolio itself come from Scrimba. And they are some variation of the front-end career path projects. Oh, I think actually the quote generator is a bootcamp exclusive. Talk to me a little bit about this variation on the projects, because I remember when you announced your new job, and by the way, for people listening, we're going to get all into the uh, specific opportunity and how Azusa was successful there in just a few minutes. I, I remember when you announced this to the community, we, we were also happy to see it. And you wrote to the community that your advice would be to go beyond the stretch goals when it comes to these solo projects. And I'm sure if you're building your own thing, it's also important to go beyond your initial goals to give it a little twist. What did you mean specifically by that? And, and why was it the piece of advice you chose to share? What made it so important? Yeah, I think it's my experience in marketing and my, it's my marketing mindset shining through. But every time I would check out the solo project, the requirements, the stretch goals, the Figma design, I would just absorb it and think, oh, I could do it, maybe not better, but different. I could make it more mine. I could give it more character because who wants another, you know, unit converter? <laughs> every entry level developer has that project on their portfolio. And I'm, I'm sure that, uh, uh, hiring managers are just sick of looking at them. So I just wanted to make myself stand out and I would tweak everything from, you know, the color palette to the idea behind the project itself. I remember I was making a restaurant menu and I think the design from Scrimba, it's like a burger joint. And I was super into uh, Star Wars at the time. So I made it a menu of the Tatooine Cantina from Star Wars. And it's just those little things that make you stand out from hundreds, if not thousands, other applicants, you know? Absolutely. Like taking the bones and the shape from a tutorial or Scrimba in this case, uh, but then adding a little twist, whether that's a new feature or a new design, it could even be a remix of the idea. So maybe it's a password generator, or maybe you like take it one step further and make it a password manager with a password generator. I don't know, but like to sort of just build on the different ideas to create something unique. Yeah, that's the idea. Is that come easy to you? Like this creativity or do you have any tips as to like how to kind of improve upon existing ideas? Yeah, again, I, I have a background in marketing, so that's been my job for years. So I, I would say I'm pretty good at it. Whoa, Zusa, you just admitted you were good at something. Are you okay? <laughs> I have my moments. <laughs> at the time that I was learning intensely, it was also when ChatGPT became a huge thing. So I would often consult it for ideas. Like I would tell it, yeah, I have a project for a 
restaurant menu that uses this, this, and this JavaScript method. Give me variations of this idea with, I don't know, a theme of pop culture. And I would just, yeah, use that sometimes. That's a really good idea. Yeah, sometimes it would just be completely useless, but most of the time it served as a big source of inspiration. I'll just quickly add before we move on as well, that it doesn't have to be unique. Like it doesn't have to be the only version on the planet. It just has to be different from the origin, if that makes sense. So if it's a tutorial or a solo project, for example, it shouldn't look exactly the same as the template because that will be a bit samey and an original. You're not likely to have a unique story to tell about that project during the interview. With a career path solo project, you're not given the code necessarily. So there is some room to uh, make the code unique and creative. Uh, but I really agree with you, uh, Zuza, that it would be even better if the app was somehow creative as well. Uh, it, it could be that you go and dribble and you look at other apps that do the same thing, or you go on CodePen and you do a search and you go on GitHub and you do a search and you can like copy and mix and match a few different ideas from different places. It's true what they say, like there's no original idea under the sun. Zuza, I know you were like writing social media copy and stuff, me too. Sometimes I see like a viral LinkedIn post and I'm like, oh, okay, I see the format here. Like I see why it's been successful and I'll kind of just adapt it for like what I'm focused on, which is like helping people learn to code. And it's like totally valid. Like that's how artists create beautiful artwork as well. They mix and match ideas over time. Yeah, they find their own style, but it's not a prerequisite and it's not something you have to worry about at this stage of your career while you're building a portfolio. Exactly. It's like that running joke that every line of code you wrote is already somewhere on Stack Overflow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about how you got your first opportunity in tech. Maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about your strategy. For example, when did you feel ready to apply for roles? And when you figured it was time, how did you actually go about doing it? Were you a kind of LinkedIn person applying to everything? Maybe you mix and match different job websites or maybe you did networking or something. Again, I didn't really have like a solid strategy. I was still doing the career path. So I wasn't really pressed to find a job because I didn't feel ready, especially that I haven't yeah, finished the career path yet. But I got into this habit that in the mornings I would just browse LinkedIn and search for front-end roles in my area. I was already living in the Netherlands at the time. I live just outside of Amsterdam. So you made the move from Poland to Amsterdam or the outskirts of Amsterdam while you were working in marketing already. Yeah, and my last marketing job was in Amsterdam, so I was already based here. But I digress. Yeah, I was just looking through job ads every day and uh, just to kind of get a feel of what employers are looking for, what frameworks, what other requirements, years of experience, obviously, uh, how many stages is the interview process and obviously the salaries. And um, from time to time, I would see something particularly interesting, whether it was a company I was familiar with, or the benefits sounded real great, or in case of my current company, it was five minutes from my house. So I was like, eh, why not? Like, might as well send my CV. Like, what, what's the worst that can happen? They will reject me. <laughs> uh, so I did. 
And I think the following day, I received a LinkedIn message from the CEO himself, who's also the lead developer. He said that he saw my application and would love to invite me for an intro call. I'm going to hit pause on the story there for just one second, because something that occurred to me is that you are from Poland, you studied English and clearly speak tremendous English, but presumably if you just moved from Poland to Holland, you might not have been like fluent in Dutch or like professional Dutch. How would you describe your like Dutch language proficiency when you started this role? And how did that play into your decision to apply for the job? The thing about the Netherlands is that out of all the European countries, it has the highest level of English speakers, like as a second language, literally like 90 year olds speak English even. So on a day to day basis, I can communicate in English anywhere and it's not an issue. When it comes to jobs, it's a bit more tricky. In Amsterdam and the surrounding areas, there are a lot of international companies full of experts, especially um, in IT, because the Netherlands has like a drought of developers and there are a lot of lot of opportunities for non-Dutch speakers. But my company, it was sort of in the middle of it because it is a Dutch company started by Dutch people where everyone except me and one other person are Dutch and communicate in Dutch. And my Dutch is currently at like an A to B1 level, which is shameful and I feel bad and I'm trying to learn. It's better than my Dutch. Probably, but you don't live here. <laughs> Fair enough. And the job ad itself was in Dutch as well. But again, like my approach to this was like, why not? I can say good morning in Dutch. Maybe it'll be fine. Yeah, but you didn't rule yourself out. You took a chance and then they could say what they want to say, whether that's, yes, we'd like to talk to you or actually uh, we need someone who's fluent in Dutch for this role. I like that a lot. I just felt I have nothing to lose. So I went for it and the whole interview process was in English. And now at work, we do communicate mostly in English. Although many of my Dutch colleagues, when they speak like by themselves, they speak only in Dutch. And when we're in a group setting, whether it's in the office or via Slack, it's like 50-50. But my Dutch is like good enough to understand most of them when they speak. And when they type, I can just throw it in Google Translate and I'm good. So it's not really a big obstacle. By the way, I, I kind of forgot to ask, what made you want to move to the Netherlands? I mean, I got an idea based on what you said about the sexism and stuff like that in Poland, but this was when you were younger, you said. I would have kind of hoped things had changed a little bit by the time you were ready to kickstart your career and all those things. It actually got way worse. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. I've always wanted to leave that place, especially like A, because I'm a woman and two, because I'm a queer person. So at some point, I was just like 100% convinced this is not a safe place for me. Like, I don't want to be thrown in jail or, or even worse. So I always wanted to leave, but I've always pictured myself emigrating to like an English-speaking country, I suppose. I had my eye on Ireland for a long time. But then during COVID, I met my current boyfriend online because we were gaming together, like the notes we are. But yeah. We were long distance for over a year and then I, I decided that, okay, that's enough. Like, let's move. And I moved. I love that because often 
times we make these plans and maybe they're rooted in some ideals, but then we get an opportunity to follow a path and it turns out to work out really well. And of course, now you're living and working in Amsterdam. Uh, you sound really happy and like you've got a good thing going on. So even though Ireland could have been nice, it's cool that you still were flexible enough to adapt and take a path that led you where you're at today. Yeah, it's been really stressful at times because moving across the continent is a huge thing and a huge change in both personal and career life and a huge risk but in the end it worked out like very well so i'm happy do people in poland get freedom of movement to go and work in amsterdam or do you have to jump through some hoops in terms of visas and things yeah poland is still in the european union although <laughs> we'll see for how long it's good to know though that's pretty cool you made the most of that opportunity so yeah thank you that was kind of my digression i was really curious about the move and how that all played out but you, you were telling me about the the company and the process to apply what does the company do exactly and what was the role you applied for? The company specializes in e-commerce. So it's a very small team. Basically, this is literally just the development team and the two owners. We develop and maintain stores for our clients. For example, if you have like a shoe store and you want a website, then we will make it for you and maintain it. Like a kind of Shopify situation? Kind of, yeah. It's not exactly Shopify. Shopify, it's an open source platform called Shopware that we work on. In the team, we have two front-end developers, so me and a colleague, one developer who's more into back-end stuff, and one senior who does everything and makes sure we don't mess up. <laughs> and of course, our big boss, the CEO, who is also a developer, but he drifted more to the business side of things. He also codes when there's a need for it. So the interview process itself, it must have been great that you got there and it was in English uh, rather than Dutch. What do you think they wanted to see from you during that interview as someone who hadn't worked as a professional developer before? Well, the intro call was literally just like a vibe check. We would just tell each other our expectations and talk a bit me about myself and yeah my journey so far and him about the company what they do uh, it was just half an hour and after that I had a little um, technical quiz and then another in-office interview also with the other owner less than a vibe check but also nothing really technical just about experience and how I see my career progressing further etc i'd love to learn a bit more about like what specifically those technical interviews entailed so that people listening can maybe get an idea about what the expectation was but what do you say we do a round of quick fire questions first to break up the interview a little bit sure go ahead what is the one learning resource that has been the most impactful for you as you learn to code? MD and Docs. Yeah, yeah, 100%. They're so handy in a, in a sense. They have everything. What is your favorite technology to use at the moment? I'm not sure if it qualifies as technology, but in my job, this was the first time I started using SaaS, and now I'm absolutely addicted to it, and I don't want to write normal vanilla CSS ever again in my life. Yeah, SaaS will do that to you. 
What is a technology that you'd like to learn next? Well, when I was following the Scrimba career path still, I started learning React and, for example, my portfolio is in React. But now at my job, we use Vue. Uh, but eventually, I do want to broaden my knowledge in React because I never did the advanced module of the course. And while I'm at it, I also currently am not very good at Vue. So probably those two. What kind of music do you code to? Or maybe you prefer to code in silence? We have a very good radio station at work that I always put on when I uh, take control of the speaker, which is called uh, Kink. Kink, no alternative. It plays like early, mid-2000s indie and pop punk and stuff like that, which is my huge vibe. So like Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco, Blink-182, that kind of vibe? Yeah, which is very upbeat and gives me lots of energy. Is there anyone you look up to or follow in the tech community we can check out maybe? So since I started learning to code, one of the people I really stuck with and I still watch him like regularly was Kevin Powell on YouTube. I had a feeling you might say that. I absolutely like owe my entirety of CSS knowledge to this man and I'm so grateful because now CSS has become sort of like my specialty at work. Like if someone has a CSS problem they come to me first. Even Martin, our senior dev the other day he didn't know how to do something in CSS grid, like how to position a button, and he asked me. And I felt like super humbled, like, why are you asking me? But I guess that means I'm good at CSS, and thank you, Kevin. Kevin Powell, what a legend. I'm going to see if I can share this episode of him when it goes live. I'm sure he'd be so happy to hear about the impact uh, he's had. Aww. But yeah, that's all for the quick fire questions. Thank you so much for being a good sport about it. Hopefully they went too grueling. Speaking of grueling questions, I was going to ask you a bit more about in that kind of technical interview, do you remember, maybe not the specific questions, but did you get a vibe as to what kind of skills they were most interested in and what they wanted to see from you from a technical perspective? Honestly, it was surprisingly, maybe not easy, but very foundational because they checked my knowledge of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. But really going into it when it comes to accessibility, like responsiveness, I think there was even a question about less when it comes to CSS, which I've never had any like experience with. So that I kind of screwed up, I think. But it really gave me the impression and that turned out to be correct, that I will have to have a very good knowledge of the foundations. Was it mostly focused on like CSS type stuff or was there some JavaScript questions in there also? I think it was pretty equal between the three. So HTML, CSS and JavaScript. I from what I recall, I had to write a bit more, like like a whole function, like Fizzbus or whatever in JavaScript, and the rest were just like 
ABCD questions. How do you feel about the fact that people are coming to you for help with CSS? Was that like a thing that you tried to specialize in or did it just kind of happen? Weird. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess it just, it kind of happened, but I always kind of like knew about myself that CSS is something I enjoy a lot out of all the coding stuff. So like HTML, JavaScript, to React, all the other frameworks, whatever. CSS was always something I was the best at. And uh, I kind of like naturally drift to it and made it kind of my thing. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it happened quite organically, which is cool, but it makes me think that as a kind of strategy, it could be quite interesting as well to be a little bit specialized in something like that. There's this idea in marketing called a T-shaped marketer, and I'll probably struggle to explain it succinctly on a podcast. It's kind of the thing you have to look at. But if you imagine the letter T, you have like a long line in the middle, and then you have like the T at the top, the line across the top. And the idea is to have like a foundation in one or two things. That's the long line down the middle. And then across the top, you have a sort of base knowledge of things that most marketers share. And if you apply that to coding, the idea is that you do need a base knowledge, you need a coding foundation, but you can stand out a little bit by building expertise in a specific area, which means going deeper into that subject. So maybe you have this base knowledge of like basic JavaScript, the base knowledge of React and what a front end library is and why it's important. Maybe you've got a base knowledge in in CSS for that matter, but then you build depth in one of those things. So maybe you become really tuned in with a specific framework or a specific language. It could be something like SaaS. And I've always heard, and it's really cool this is happening to you, Zuzer, if at work people are coming to you to like ask you questions about stuff, then you're doing like a really good job. Like that's a really good like judge of how well you're doing in the role, I feel like. Yeah, I hope that's correct. All the imposter syndrome things aside, I must admit that CSS is like something I'm really good at. And I would highly suggest to anyone learning to code that they find this one thing that they really enjoy doing and that comes easy to them and focus on that. Obviously, learning all the other stuff as well. But if you're not perfect at it, that's that's fine. Yeah, you're a, a CSS aficionado. Yeah my LinkedIn title. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Very, very cool. And I'm glad to hear things are going well uh, at the the role. How are you getting on with ADHD and the job, by the way? Because if there's one thing I understand about our conversation today and just ADHD in general, I think people with ADHD are remarkably competent. And even though they might approach something in a different way, it doesn't diminish the quality of the outcome. So it's helpful in, in a way that I'm still able to keep that hyper focus and um If I'm stuck on something, I will not get really discouraged or anything until I figure it out. But the downsides to it might be, for one, that I don't really remember sometimes to ask people for help if I'm stuck. I'm just trying to, like, figure it out by myself. And second thing is that I kind of, like, tune out. And, for example, when there's a lunch break and everyone, like, stands up, I don't notice it. And then I find do and I'm like oh, it's lunch like I have to take a break like I can't now I'm focused I have to like keep going and even at the end of the day like I'm sitting there like from nine to five and five hits everyone starts packing up and I'm like no just like five more lines of code 
and I'll go. To be honest, like I, I understand the challenge of those things, but in terms of productivity, it sounds like they don't affect your ability to be super productive. But are there ways in which you feel like you have to compensate somehow? So, so for example, maybe there's like a stand-up every day that interrupts your flow or there are meetings that break up the day. I also notice sometimes with certain personality types, but also uh, conditions that you can get really focused on something, but then be a bit forgetful about certain details or like keeping people informed, like in communicating what you're working on and stuff. I'm just wondering if that's something you've uh, had to face. Yeah. Yeah. My forgetfulness is like definitely the worst thing about my ADHD and I'm medicated. So like it's less bad than it used to be, but it's still a huge thing. Thankfully, I got into the habit, I suppose, of writing nice commit messages. So if I need to reference something, I just check my GitHub and there it is. Uh, but I am guilty of often like writing some code and someone asks me like, did you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Why does it have like a height of a hundred percent and not like auto? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> like you can probably delete that. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't like break anything yet. So I guess it's working out. And I would say that maybe, maybe it's not like entirely correct, but I feel like this is a field that's kind of neurodivergence friendly and a lot of neurodivergent people naturally gravitate towards it. So I don't really feel out of place. Definitely less than I did when I still worked in marketing. So that's nice. Sounds like you're exactly where you're meant to be. That's awesome. There's a whole like uh, Reddit community called, uh, I'm just Googling it to get it right. I think it's ADHD underscore programmers. Yeah, yeah, I'm on it. <laughs> oh, you're one of the members. Yeah, there's a lot. There's like maybe 50,000 people in there. I really appreciate you being sort of transparent and talking about it. I'm curious to ask about it for a few different reasons. I mean, number one, maybe there's someone listening who also has ADHD or they suspect they have ADHD or are otherwise neurodivergent. As you say, programming does attract a lot of people who are neurodivergent, but not everybody is diagnosed necessarily or they only exhibit some traits and, and it might not be affecting their life in the same way. I personally only got diagnosed like less than two years ago. Only two years ago? Ago. you must if you were born in 93 you must have been well into your 20s by then yeah i had several wrong diagnoses over the years and it's been like a real struggle because adhd is especially underdiagnosed in women so all the psychiatrists over the years were like yeah you have depression no you're bipolar wait no you have bpd and it was like new psychiatrist new new diagnosis but i finally settled on the adhd and uh, medications working and it's all good so i guess this is finally correct this time wow that sounded like a really tough experience but i'm glad you got to the bottom of it and yeah that's the other reason i think it's so great to talk about is because yeah if there are so many neurodivergent people in programming even if you're not it's really important to hear it from your perspective you see uh, so I, I really appreciate that yeah spreading awareness about this is super important because I personally found out that this could be a thing from a reddit post in that reddit post I read that ADHD might exhibit differently in women because I only associated ADHD with like you know little boys running around and screaming I was like that can't be me yeah exactly and the symptoms are like completely different and people are just generally 
not aware of that. Absolutely. Like ADHD gets this reputation that is something that kids have. And, and there are two types of ADHD, I think, as well. There's like an impulsive and hyperactive type. That's a little bit more like what you see with kids. Yeah, hyperactive and inattentive. Yeah. And I think it's like a combined type as well. But I'm not an expert at this. It's just something that I think has been like increasing in awareness over the years. And so again, it's really nice to get your perspective. Thank you so much. Of course. My pleasure. And Susa, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast as well it's been an absolute pleasure to learn more about your story breaking into tech thank you again for having me it's a little bit wild that i have this job and i'm being invited to podcasts to talk about it so it really feels great this was the scramble podcast check out the show notes for the ways to connect with zuza and the resources mentioned in this episode If you made it this far, please subscribe. We are a weekly show and that means there's going to be a new episode in your feed every Tuesday. The show is hosted by Alex Booker and I've been Jan the producer. You can find both of our Twitter handles in the show notes as well. If you liked this episode, share it with someone on socials or in person. And we will be back with you next week.